This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. Uh, if we haven't met before, I'm Adam Vermontis. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Mosaic, and I have, have the privilege of doing a majority of our teaching and preaching, and I'll get to do that this morning. Uh, this morning, we're looking at uh, a passage in the Old Testament uh, it, it could be familiar territory to most of you. Uh, if you've been here with us, you'll know where we're at. We are working our way uh, one by one, actually, through the Ten Commandments. So we started the book of Exodus a number of years ago. Uh, we, we paused. For, we haven't been in it the whole number of years. Uh, we paused for a little bit, and now we're picking up the back end of Exodus, and we just happen to be in the Ten Commandments. So if you're new to our church, our, you know, our, our kind of bread and butter uh, way of doing things is we just preach through either whole books of the Bible or large sections of the Bible, you know, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. So there's not a, not a ton of surprise here. We're fairly predictable. Uh, so this morning we are looking at the Seventh Commandment, which is found in Exodus chapter 20. It's pretty brief, uh, but Jesus, uh, as, he, as he does with a number of the, the Ten Commandments, he expands on this law in Matthew chapter 5. And so we're gonna, I'm going to read both sections uh, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, and then Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 uh, to 32. So this is, this is the word of God. You shall not commit adultery. And then Jesus says this, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, Cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery." This is the word of God. Let's pray and ask him to open our eyes, minds, and hearts to hearing what he has to say to us in it. Let's pray. Father, we believe uh, that the words we just heard read are from you. And unless you, uh, by the work of your spirit inside of us, are to give us understanding, Lord, they will remain far removed from our hearts. They will have no meaning, they will have no impact, they will be deemed irrelevant. Uh, But Lord, we pray that that would not be the case. I pray that you would take the words of this one man's mouth and that you would speak through me to your people, that you would give us all soft hearts, eyes, and ears to believe, see, and hear what you would have for us this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the, uh, the denomination we belong to, which again, those of you that are new to us, you may not know that we belong to a denomination. It's called the Presbyterian Church in America. 
Uh, short, we use PCA. So if you're going to Google us after service, you can do that. Uh, but we, we, we like to study uh, the Bible, and we like to, you know, communicate our positions on things. And one of the things that we did as a do- denomination a couple of years ago, uh, just kind of in light of just some of the, the cultural uh, changes in views on uh, human sexuality and marriage, uh, we decided to write a paper on it. And, uh, and so in, uh, I think it was in 2019, we commissioned a group of, of pastors and elders to study the Bible um, and to write a paper for us. And that paper was released last May. Uh, it's, it's available on the internet. I, I commend it to your reading. I, I endorse uh, all of what it says. It's a, it's a well-written paper. And on this paper uh, on human sexuality, uh, there's just a ton, and I, I don't tend to, to provide the Cliff's Notes version of that today. Uh, but there, there's some language uh, that's introduced that was kind of new to me. Um, and uh, one of the sections, it's a, it's a theological term, and it's called concupiscence. And concupiscence, there will, there will be a quiz at the end of this uh, sermon, by the way, so take notes. Uh, concupiscence is actually a Roman Catholic doctrine and uh, in this paper, they, they kind of expand on this Roman Catholic doctrine. And, and in a nutshell, kind of layman's version of concupi- concupiscence, I will stop saying that word because that's a, that's a mouthful. Um, the, the, the teaching of this doctrine is that uh, through the waters of baptism, original sin has been washed away. So that, that would be the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, that would not be the teaching of our church. Um, and, and, and I found it, um, so in this paper that we wrote, they, they did some expansive writing, and, and particularly in the footnotes, which I don't always read the footnotes, but these footnotes were, were, were well written. They did some expansive writing on why we don't believe that doctrine to be true. And the reason they're doing this in, in regards to human sexuality is they're trying to get at the heart of desire and temptation of an individual as it pertains particularly to to sexuality. And I picked up on this line. I just want to read it, wrote it down. Um, The the writers of the paper said this. Again, they they are, you know, refuting uh, this, this doctrine. They said that sin can be a kind of unchosen bondage and idolatrous rebellion at the same time. We all experience sin at times as a kind of voluntary servitude. And I found that language really helpful, particularly the language of it being at the same time unchosen bondage and idolatrous rebellion. Helpful. And here's why. Let me just do a little unpacking. I believe at the heart of this commandment is is our desire. Like at the lowest level, you know, Jesus, you know, he often operates at the level of motive. And I would say that kind of the layer below motive is, is desire. And the authors of this paper have identified two helpful things, I think, to us in using the language of unchosen bondage and idolatrous rebellion. And it is this, that the sinful desires inside of us are both things that we hate and that we love. They are things that have us bound and we have no power over and things that we voluntarily put ourselves into. And so I, I really just think the authors of this paper are on to something here. And, and I think it really pertains to this particular 
law and this particular commandment. Now, the bigger picture of this commandment, and I want to do this from time to time, just you know, span the camera out, is the original hearers of this commandment were you know, three months prior enslaved in Egypt, are now currently wandering through a wilderness headed towards the promised land. And my premise for this whole sermon series has been that God is more interested in who you are becoming in the wilderness than where you're going in the promised land. And so these laws are given to people who know what it means uh, to be uh, under, you know, bondage. Like they know what that feels like. And they also know what it feels like to, to have some sort of love for that bondage. That, that they're frequently, and we'll see this as we carry through Egypt, they are f- or through the wilderness, they are frequently saying Egypt wasn't really that bad. So they both hate their bondage, and simultaneously they love their bondage. Um, here's, here's what I think is at the heart and the core uh, you know, of this commandment. That all of us, you know, across the board, without exception, every single ear hearing my words right now has a deep longing and a desire for intimacy. And this, this desire for a, a, a deep, divine connection um, usually uh, proves itself through our sexuality. Our longing for that type of intimacy is, is, is largely connected through our human sexuality. And my, and my, my whole, you know, uh, what I want to lead you through this commandment, I, I want you to believe that, but then I want you to know this, that that, that, ache, that core longing, that desire that's deep inside of you is, is, one, is two things. One, it is not bad. And two, it can only be satisfied in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so God gives us this, this mandate for, for marriages as a shadow of the substance of a relationship with God. It is something that is pointing us towards something bigger Better, better and more beautiful than any human intimacy can ever offer you. So uh, this, uh, if, again, I know we have some new friends with us today. If you're new to our church, I, I kind of try to hang things in a logical manner with some points, and I'm not always this savvy, but today we've got three points, and they all start with the letter S. So here they are for you note takers that want to pass the uh, quiz at the end of the, the sermon. Uh, this morning we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the substance of the law, then we're going to look at the scope of the law, and then we're going to look at the seriousness of the law. So let's talk about uh, the substance of the law. And when I mean substance, I mean, let, let me just give you kind of the nuts and bolts of these three pericopes, so these three sections. So I've, I've pulled out, you know, Exodus 20, the command, and then Jesus teaches on lustful intent, and then he teaches on divorce. And I think these three are connected. And, and in fact, in my mind, as I was thinking through this week, I think, I think they're called Venn diagrams, right? Like the overlapping circles, right? Venn, Venn, I, I've got that confirmed from smart people in the crowd. A Venn diagram, you know, it's the overlapping circles where you're trying to find like that middle point where they all collide together, the commonality. Like that's what I think is happening with, I think that's what Jesus is doing. I think in Exodus 20, he's addressing the adultery piece. And then he's addressing the lustful intent piece. And then he's addressing the divorce piece. And right in the middle 
is like what he's after with us. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my best to verbally communicate that Venn diagram, what I think the Bible's trying to teach us. So let's just take each of those concentric circles briefly and let me give you some nuts and bolts. So uh, with the Exodus 20 command, commit adultery. So what we bump into there is, is a particular word uh, referring to physical intimacy outside of the context of marriage. Uh, so, so if you're here and you're single, uh, this still applies to you. Um, and so I don't, I don't want you to check out and say, okay, well, I'm, I'm good on that, on that corner of it. This, uh, you know, the word used here is not the, the word uh, commonly translated as fornication in the Bible. So that would be the word pornea. So this, this doesn't say everything about our sexuality, but it does say some things. And here's, here's the piece uh, of, of the command that I think that, that Jesus is trying to get, get us to, to understand. And it's the piece of, of fidelity and commitment. So God has designed this marriage uh, to be an arena of fidelity and commitment at the highest level that, that earth knows it. So there is no higher level of, of, of commitment and um, intimacy and connection than, than that can be found in a marriage. Now, when I say that, I know, I know single pe- people that kind of, that hurts. Um, what I'm not saying is you can't find intimacy and connection in the world outside of marriage, but what I am saying is God has uniquely designed this institution as a shadow of the substance of what he's offering to his people. Okay, so it is, it is the commitment, fidelity component of it. And, and, you know, Moses on the mountain is saying, listen, you don't go outside of that. Looking for the intimacy that your heart wants, don't go out of there. Uh, that is where that is for. The second piece, as we move into Jesus' word, is, is, the, is the lust piece. And, you know, much like Jesus, he's, you know, he, he says it, right? He says, you've heard it said this way, but I say it to you this way. He's not negating what Exodus said. He's, he's giving us the deeper, better meaning of it, right? And so what he, what he says is, listen, even the person who has lustful intent in their heart has already committed adultery. And what he means by that is he's saying, listen, what, what you're longing for, again, the ache, is you want some sort of um, vulnerability and connection without any risk of rejection and any effort. That's what lustful intent is. So if, I, if we were to translate that word that Jesus uses, it would be a longing for intimacy and connection without risk and without effort. Because what it does is it treats people as an object to be consumed. That's what lust is. You look at someone uh, to satisfy an aching inside of you for connection and, it's, and it comes through fantasizing and imagination. And we're going to unpack a little bit of that in, in practical terms at least PG-13 version in a minute. Um, but that's kind of the lust component of it. So there's, there's the adultery component, the lust component. And then Jesus says these really, really sharp words about divorce. And, and I say this knowing we have divorced individuals among us and people who have remarried among us. And so, you know, we are, we are certainly going to be, you know, drawn to the fountains of grace by the time we're done here. But let's, let me just... Let me just tell you what Jesus is telling us, what it appears. Taking his words at face value, it appears that Jesus is telling us, I want you to have a wholehearted commitment to someone. And when you don't, what happens is you cause that person to commit adultery. And what he seems to do is he, he targets men. I don't know if, the, if you caught on to that. It seems as though he doesn't speak to women divorcing 
uh, husbands. He speaks to husbands divorcing wives, and here's why. It's a cultural thing. Uh, the reality is women didn't divorce men. In that culture, you know, everything a woman was was tied to her husband. It was her livelihood. It was her well-being. She, she Basically, women in that culture uh, could not survive without a husband. They needed a husband. And so, you know, they target men and say, listen, you cannot uh, divorce your wife because what you're doing is you're, you're basically cutting her off from life. You're causing her that she will have to get married again. So he, he uses this really stark uh, teaching on divorce to say, hey, I need you uh, to be so wholehearted commi- committed to somebody for this vulnerable, for this intimacy piece that you want. No divorce. That's what he says. He does provide, uh, you know, a clause here. He provides a clause in another statement in another gospel, you know, except for the case of sexual immorality and abandonment. That's another sermon. Um, but, but that's the teaching. So that is the Venn diagram. And, and, and I just, I want you to have that kind of etched into your mind. But let me, let me do this because I picked up on this through my study this week and, and it, was, it was helpful to me and I hope it's helpful to you. Go with me for a minute back to the Garden of Eden. So the Garden... Uh, in so many ways, was a sanctuary where God married his people. That was, that was a wedding. And God was saying, listen, I've provided everything you need here. All your longings and achings for intimacy and connection, it's here. You have everything you need. You have life with me. You have life with each other. This is how it should be. And then uh, there was, there was the, the, the forbiddenness of one tree. Right? And God said, you have everything you need, and you don't, you don't need this tree. But he put the tree there, and he put the fruit there. And if you want to see how all this gives birth, you, you just look at, you look at Eve and what she did. She saw the fruit, which I don't think is an apple, because how appealing is an apple, right? I mean, it must have been a mango at minimum, probably a peach. Um, but like she, she, ma- she made eye contact, and that's the, the thing with the eye, right? The eye is the lamp of the body. So Eve saw something with her eye, and she lusted for it. And she said, that thing's going to give me life, life that I don't have in relationship with God right now. And so that ancient wicked serpent comes in, and he whispers lies to her, and he says, did God really say that? Surely that can't be entirely true. And she looks at and lusts after something that she was forbidden. God said, stay in the context of this marriage to have your longings met. And she left the marriage, right? She left God. She was both, you know, she, was, she had unchosen bondage and idolatrous rebellion. So she chose to leave the marriage and she plunged herself and humanity into the plight of sinfulness that we now all inhabit. It was, it was the way that desire gave birth to lust that gave birth to adultery. So, so that's the substance of it. Like Jesus is really, again, he's, he's working his way into the core of what is inside, what is going on, why do we lust? Why do we, why do we commit adultery? Why do we divorce? It's, it's because we have these longings for intimacy that are not being met. So let's talk about the scope um, of, of the law. And when I say scope, I partially picked that word because it had an S in it. Um, but, but what I mean is like the aim, right? So if you're looking down a scope, like what is, what is between the crosshairs, uh, for lack of a better picture? Like what is, what is really at the heart of what Jesus wants? And here's, here's what, what Jesus is after. Here's what the Bible wants from us. 
It wants us to have wholehearted purity in regards to our sexuality and our desires. So from the beginning of the sermon series, I've, I've, one of the things I've highlighted is, is God's desire to make our hearts whole. That Jesus, you know, he said it when he said, you know, I have come to bind up the brokenhearted. And so here's, you know, here's one way this sermon could go. Let me tell you all the ways you've broke this law. And let me, let me just kind of, let me just beat you up for about, you know, 15 minutes. And then I'll bring you to Jesus. And I'll show you, you know, how he can forgive you for all you've done. And, and then we can go off feeling okay about ourselves. And that's fine. Like, that's, that's just not the sermon I want to preach. Um, here's a sermon I want to preach. Because, and, and you're going to have to read behind, between the lines. I, I want this to be practical because I do want it to scope out some of your heart and some of your behavior and some of your activities. But, but you know, I think you're intelligent enough, and I don't want to be condescending to you where I have to, like, name all the things. Like, you know all the things. You know the things that break this commandment. So what I'm trying to do is hone in on really what's going on there, right? And uh, here's, here's, here's the way I'll put what, what's going on. Uh, when Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I say to you, what he's doing is he is confronting our narrow definition of what we think sin is and our broad definition of what we think purity is. So the religious leaders of the day thought, here's, here's their narrow definition of sin. Well, as long as I'm not sleeping around outside of my wife, then I'm good, right? Like, as long as I'm not being like uber promiscuous guy out there, I'm probably, I'm obeying this law. That's a very narrow view of this law. And then the very broad view of purity sounded much the same way. Well, as long as I'm not, you know, I'm not doing that with my coworker, then I'm, I'm good. So what Jesus does is he addresses the narrow view of sin and the broad view of purity. And then he says this, look, here's why you struggle with this particular issue in your heart. Because you're looking for intimacy in all the wrong places. Because you are looking um, for that connection inside of you um, in places where it's easy, it's accessible, it requires very little effort, and it has zero risk of rejection. So again, read under the lines of this. Like any time you're looking outside of the design that God made you for, namely connection with him and connection with your spouse, if you have a spouse, you are saying, I can find intimacy somewhere else. And here's, here's what, I, what I, in my, in my bones believe, I, I believe this, hear me say this. I don't think God's really mad about that. <laughs> like, I, I think some of you have been peddled a version of Christianity that sounds something like this, and maybe I've peddled it from up front here. I haven't recently, but it's something like this. You know, God is so holy, 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 and just, and righteous, and perfect that he can't even stand the presence of sin. And he can't even tolerate you in your sinfulness. So that's why he sent Jesus to cover your sinfulness, to give you a righteousness that you couldn't earn, and then he could tolerate you. Now, the parts of that are true, and, and I'm going to give you the true parts as we close today. But here's, here's where I think that that has missed the mark in so many ways. What I, what, I, what I think that makes you feel like is, well, I better clean it up before I get this connection with God. I better clean up my act, right? I got to go clear my internet history, or I got to delete that, you know, Facebook messenger with my old high school fling, or whatever it is. Like, I better, I better, you know, shore that stuff up if I want to, if I want that rightness. 
And everything I see in the God of the Bible, as he's expressed in the person of Jesus Christ, is that he actually comes to you in your darkest, gloomiest, worst times. And he comes right up near you, right? That's why the accusation that Jesus was eating and drinking with sinners and tax collectors. Because the sinners and the tax collectors were the ones who knew they needed him most. And so, again, the, faulty, the fault line is that, you know, that, that God can't stand you, so clean it up. What, he's, what the Bible, it seems to be telling me, is like, you can't clean yourself up. The scope of this, of this command is for your desires for intimacy to be embraced. And so I think it's one of the cruelest things I think you can do to somebody struggling with the addiction and the grip that lust may have over their heart is to remove the thing that is soothing them. Because here's, here's the reality of people who have struggled with addiction and lust, uh, their heart needs soothed. And as sad and seemingly gross as the options are, um, the reality is they have aching hearts. So the good news of the gospel is that Jesus comes to those places where you're, you're, you're crying out for connection the loudest in the lustful intent of your heart, whether it's inside behavior through the fascination of your imagination and desires or whether it's outside behavior through promiscuity and being outside the context of your marriage. You are crying for connection. So that's the scope of it. But, but it would be remiss of me for not, to not address the seriousness of it. Um, and and I also, I, I, you know, I frequently put little disclaimers in my sermons because, well, not, not all of you hear me preach all the time or maybe you're visiting. Here's the disclaimer. Like, I know, uh, likely, that there are people that are here this morning uh, that, have, that have blatantly um, felt and experienced the pain and betrayal of adultery, like at the highest degree. And so I, I say all this with both a sensitivity um, to those that are healing from this, uh, but, but also with a desire for healing like that the balm of the gospel would get into those places that have been just seared off inside of you and that you would genuinely experience the change, the hope, the healing, and the transformation that only Jesus Christ can offer you. So that's the disclaimer as we head into the seriousness of the sin. Um, Jesus, you know, in, in typical Jesus fashion, he uses very colorful uh, language and illustrations to grab attention. Uh, he says this, you know, for the person who has lustful intent in their, in their eye, he says, you should just rip your eye out. <laughs> he says, and if that doesn't work, you should just take your, your right hand off. So the right eye was considered the best eye. He's like, take your best eye out. Uh, and if that doesn't work, you know, if, if your hand keeps sinning, take your, take your hand off. And what he's, what he's doing, he's not necessarily just condoning, you know, self-mutilation. Uh, what he's doing is he's endorsing the reality that this sin has the potential to devastate your life. This is playing with fire. And Jesus, in no uncertain terms, makes it clear that this is not a fire to be played with. 
that this will set your house, your home, your children, your spouse, your grandchildren, it will set them on fire. And I, and I don't, again, I don't think he's doing this as a fear tactic. And I don't want this final point of this sermon to feel like a scare tactic because I, I, I genuinely believe that what Jesus is interested in you is sparing you from harm. Like his best interest is for you to be a wholehearted person experiencing deep connection with him and in your relationships, including your marriage. So Jesus lays it out very clearly and his point is this. Sexual sin is devastating. It will crumble trust. A betrayal is one of the worst pains that anyone can experience. And I don't, I don't often quote old dead Puritans. I'm sure some of you wish I did more. Uh, but one old dead Puritan named John Owen in his book called The Mortification of Sin, he introduced, this is your second term for the quiz today. He introduced a term called mortification. And it's not in our you know, everyday vernacular. We're not really talking about mortification all that much. At least I'm not. Some of you do. Um, and mortification is best summarized uh, in, in John Owen's statement in his book when he said this. He said, uh, be killing sin or it will be killing you. And that strikes to the core of what Jesus is saying. You need to put this sin to death or it will put you to death. And the good news of Christianity, and I'm assuming some of you may be new to Christianity, the good news of Christianity is not this. Well, you better, you better, you better, you know, pick yourself up by the bootstraps and, you know, put, uh, you know, spam or f- internet filters on your phone and you better, uh, you know, you know, give your wife access to all your email accounts. Like those, those things might be helpful to some people to restrain, but what Jesus and the gospel say this, give me your heart and I will liberate it. I will give you the intimacy that you so deeply long for and you've never had before and I will do it freely and I will do it abundantly and I will do it eternally. See, the good news of the gospel is third and final word of the quiz today is that Jesus Christ is impeccable. I don't know, I was feeling smart this week. So Jesus Christ's impeccability is that he is perfect. He is perfect in his thought life. And when I say perfect, I'm not talking about behavior, I'm talking at the desire and motive level. That Jesus likely in his you know, famous work on earth had women lusting after him throwing themselves at him, flattering him. He was not above that temptation. He felt the need for intimacy and connection like you and I felt it. And he knew that nobody could satisfy it but his father. And if you want to see what a wholehearted, pure in heart person looks like, you look no further than the Lord Jesus Christ that he knew what it meant to feel the ache of missing intimacy and also knew what it felt like to experience it with God the Father. And the offer on the table to anyone who would believe it today 
is that that too can be yours. When Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 and said, Father, my prayer is that they would be one with me as I am with you, was not just religious, pious talk. Jesus meant that the oneness that he has with the Father is available to anyone who would come to him by faith today. That the core longings of your heart that you've been looking for in all the wrong places are offered to you through union with Jesus Christ today. It's incredibly good news because Jesus comes to us in our darkness. And this will just be my final note. Jesus descends to us in our darkness. And I'm assuming that this, this law looms heavy on some hearts here. Like I, I'm, I'm under no pretense uh, that this isn't, that this isn't, there's not some dark application out there. Um, but the good news of the gospel is that whether you are married or single, whether you are divorced or remarried, whether you are monogamous or promiscuous, where, wherever you are today, whether you have a squeaky clean internet history or a filthy one, whether you have an emotional love for your coworker or a healthy one, whether you look across the, the church and you say, I want, I want a man like that frequently, whatever you are doing inside of you, all of it is looking for love in, 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 in the wrong place. And Jesus offers you himself today. Would you believe that good news? Would you return home today? That's the offer on the table. Let's pray together. Jesus, it is, it's, it's incredibly hard to hear your words sometimes. This is, these are not easy words for us to hear, for me to speak, but they are important words and we believe them. Jesus, I pray that you, by the work of your spirit, would come among our church and that you would, you would, you would blow the winds of grace and mercy all over this place. That we would sense how deeply interested and loving and caring and kind you are to us, even in the darkest spots of us. Lord, if there's anyone here that is just exhausted from hiding and they're just, they feel the hooks of this law in them, Lord, would you meet with that person? Would you meet them with your kindness? Would you comfort them in a way that would lead them home in repentance? That they would experience freedom and liberation. That they wouldn't have to hide from you and from others anymore. Father, we, we long to be a church of wholehearted people. People who are being healed from the inside out. Would you do that in our midst even today? Only you could do that, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen. This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. 